Three. Let's read our passages this morning in Mark chapter 3. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Father, we want to ask for your help this morning. It's only if you will give us the understanding we need that we will be helped today, Lord, to overcome sin, maybe for some, to overcome this, um, uh, this, this problem with sin that's, Lord, with it, it carries such a weight. It's an eternal separation from you when we leave this life. And I pray today that you'd help us, Lord. Help each heart, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit to work today in this place. Lord, we ask Him to have liberty today to show us the meaning of these texts that we're going to study today. Lord, I pray if there's any who are wayward, that today would be the day of conviction to restore them with you. If there's any who are lost today, and they've not yet received Christ as their Savior, I pray today would be their day. Lord, may your will be done. May you help us with the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're going to be seated. Today I want to speak to you on the topic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But I want to speak to you on the topic of the Holy Spirit with an emphasis on how important it is to heed the Holy Spirit when you hear from the Holy Spirit. If you'll remember with me from two weeks ago, we were in this passage, and Jesus was accused of performing the miracles that He was performing in the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a word that is used to uh, define or speak about Satan, uh, many of us would know him as Satan, the devil. But Beelzebub means the Lord of the house of filth, or the Lord of the house of flies. And the idea is Jesus is on earth, and you guys feel so far away, so I almost feel like I'm just going to come down there, because everybody sat so far towards the back of the church. I feel like the church is going to tip here in a second. Y'all are all going to fall out, and I'm going to fall on you. So we talked about Beelzebub, and Beelzebub being the name where Jesus is is on earth, well, that, this is what's happening in the gospel. Jesus has been on earth. He's upwards in his 30s. He has roughly a three and a half year ministry. This is kind of in the beginning of his ministry. He's been going around. He's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom because he's the Messiah in the flesh, the one who's going to um, establish that future eternal kingdom. And he's, he's healing people. He's healing the blind. He's healing the sick. He's healed the lame. He's fed the hungry, as I've already mentioned. And as he's doing these miracles, no one can understand how in the world he's able to do what he's able to do, unless he is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, as John 1 mentions him, God in the flesh. But there's some who come along, the scribes, and the scribes were religious zealots of that day, along with the Pharisees, and they come along, and they know the Word of God, but they don't know God by way of faith. So what they do is they see the power of God, the miracle of God, but they say, this man is not of God. What he's doing is in the power of Beelzebub, the devil. So there's this whole back and forth, and we talked about this two weeks ago, about how Jesus criticized or rebukes them by saying, a house divided cannot stand. And he informs them that there's no possible way that he is able to be doing what he's doing and somehow that is Satan's power at work. No, this is God at work. 
Now, this is all one event. So what's going to come, what's following, is what we often call the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. And the idea is this, that the Holy Spirit is obviously demonstrating something right now in, in our text at that time in history. The Holy Spirit is working through Jesus. It is so obvious, the power of God. And the hearts of those people are being pricked as God is working before them. But here's what they do. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy or blaspheming is referring to they refuse the truth of what's going on. They reject Him. And by rejecting Him, they are bound or in danger of eternal damnation. It's a very, it's a very heavy subject today, and I hope that we can make our way through it and that I can... Um, certainly get everybody on the same page as uh, where we need to be. Uh, there's two thoughts here, and, and this is so good because anybody ever heard the, somebody come to you or had somebody come to you and they said, hey, um, I'll pick on Casey. I've already picked on Blake. Casey, Casey, I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want first? <laughs> okay, <laughs> bad news. Right. So today what I've got is I've got good news and I've got bad news. I'm curious, which one do y'all want to hear first? You want to hear the good news? I heard good news first. Okay, so the good news. Let's talk about the good news. Look back at the text with me in verse 28. It says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. That's some good news. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Jesus is first off speaking about something that is so wonderful, the fact that the good news is all sin can in fact be forgiven according to what Jesus is saying right here. So you would say, one person might say, wait a second, I've done some really bad things in my life and I just don't think God can forgive me. When I used to preach at the jail ministry, I used to hear that a lot from the guys that were um, doing their time you know, and they were there when I was preaching, and they would say something along those lines. You just, preacher, you just don't know what I've done. There's no way God's going to forgive me. I want to tell you this morning, the good news is all sins shall be forgiven. All sins can be forgiven. Now, here's a couple of things that I had in my notes, and I've just brought my notebook down so I don't have to keep walking up and down. My first question for you is, who can forgive sin? And I want to take you over to Mark chapter 2. So we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study this morning. And we're going to figure out some of the answers to this. Mark chapter 2, pick up in verse 5. If you've been with us for our study in Mark, then this is going to be familiar to you. But it's going to help us to understand why can Jesus say all sin can be forgiven? Because my question is, well, who forgives my sin? Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He's talking about forgiving sin again here. Look at verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why, did the, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? And you and I would say, well, yeah, of course, only God could forgive sin. Because that isn't sin, a trespass against God. Let's keep reading. It goes on to say, verse 8, And immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reasoned within themselves he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Why are you questioning what's going on? Why are you reasoning here? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, meaning someone who can't, can't walk, they're paralyzed in some way, 
Which way is easier to, to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk? And I ask you the same question. Is it easier for me to say, Jamie, that your sins are forgiven, or Jamie, that let's say that you were paralyzed. Jamie, you can stand up and walk out of that wheelchair. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven. Nobody sees that, right? It's easier to say, I could, I, it's the charlatans out here on the radio station that ask for the uh, money so they might send you holy water that's going to heal, heal all your ailments. And they bring these people up on stage on crutches and in wheelchairs and they, they perform these tasks and they make it seem as though they've been healed. A lot of those guys will speak in a way that they will stir up the inner man, but they're not really able to do anything on the outside. So it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven. But here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I could tell him all day his sins are forgiven, but I want to prove to you that I can forgive sin. Look at the rest of the text. He says, whether is it easier to say to the sick, thy sins be forgiven, or arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin, he says to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thy house. And here's what happened, verse 12. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God. They'd never seen anything like it before. Saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So, a couple things to grab a hold of here. The question is, who can forgive sin? That's the question. Who can forgive sin? Jesus tells the man that, he can, that his sins can be forgiven. The religious zealots that are sitting there say, wait a second, according to the Word of God, only God can forgive sin. And so Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. Is it easier for me to forgive sin or to heal this man? Certainly they're saying, easier for you to say. But then what happens? He heals the man. So by healing the man, he's proving that he can, in fact, forgive sin. Now, another one, another question I want to throw out to you. Why can he forgive sin? So we've, we've answered the question, who can forgive God, Jesus, in the flesh, or God in the flesh as Jesus? Why can he forgive sin? Why can he forgive sin? Go to John chapter 1 with me. Verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus... That's the same Jesus we just talked about in the book of Mark. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Who can forgive sin? God can forgive sin. Why can he forgive sin? Because God became a man, walked on the face of the earth, perfect and holy in every way, and in Jesus, not only was Jesus uh, a good teacher and a good Messiah, but Jesus was also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go with me over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, pick up in verse 7 with me. What is the significance of a lamb? Okay, we're going to learn a little bit about that real quick. John says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Why is that important to me? Why do I care? It's a lamb. Why, how does that take away my sin? Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter 
And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. This is referring to the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. When the Lord Jesus came to the earth, he was born amongst the Jews. But the Jews rejected him. That's what that's referring to. Verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. This is God being satisfied when Jesus dies for the sins of the world. By his knowledge shall my righteousness, I'm sorry, by, my, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear, he shall carry their iniquities, their sins. That's what Jesus did. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for those transgressors. The idea here is why can he forgive sin? He can forgive sin because he is the Lamb of God who was slain for our sin. In the book of Leviticus, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And God says, I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. When In the very beginning, when mankind fell into sin, God gave us the life of the flesh, the blood, as something to put upon the altar. Not our own blood, because why? Because our own blood is stained. We're all sinners. Just as much as Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, all sins can be forgiven. In the same way in Romans chapter 3, it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so I can't die for myself because I come short of God's glory. My blood is impure. Your blood is impure. You are stained with sin and therefore there's no hope in your own strength to be right with God and have your sins forever forgiven. But there's one who can forgive sin. And there's one who came to the earth in order to take care of sin. And as the Bible teaches us, He's the Lamb of God without spot or blemish who taketh away the sin of the world. And He was actually put on that altar, slain for us, crucified for us, put to death for us, so that we would not have to die for our own sin and spend an eternity in a devil's hell. This is some good news this morning. I don't know about you all, but I find it to be very good news that all sins shall be forgiven no matter what they are. Now, my next question, this is question number three. Who can forgive sin? Question number one, why can he forgive sin? Now, what does he do in order to forgive sin? Well, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. But there's another part to it. I want you to, I want you to go back to Mark with me. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. There's something that happens in salvation that is so important. And this is all going to build up to the verse about the Holy Spirit, okay? So I want you to try to hold on to um, as much as this as you, as you can. Look at verse 8 with me. Now verse 8 is being spoken. This is John the Baptist speaking this, and it says this, I indeed have baptized you 
with water. Let me explain that just for a second. John the Baptist had a ministry that preceded the Lord Jesus Christ. He's often known as the forerunner. Mark chapter 1 verse 8. So John the Baptist had a ministry that preceded the Lord Jesus Christ. And his ministry was a baptism uh, unto repentance. And the idea was that people would come down to the River Jordan. John the Baptist would take them and he would dunk them in water. And as he was doing that, they were recognizing their sin and they were repenting from sin. But they were not fully saved yet. It was a preceder. It was, it was before the ministry of the Lord. They were recognizing that the Messiah was on His way. And so John says, I indeed baptize you with water. I'm preparing you for the coming Messiah. But look what he goes on to say. Look at verse 8. I indeed have baptized you with water, but He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. The He there being the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a great work that Jesus is doing. Somehow he, Jesus is going to come, just as John dunked people in water, which has no supernatural power to it. It's water. Sometimes it's clean water. Sometimes it's stinky water. Sometimes it's hot water. Sometimes it's cold water. Okay, it doesn't matter. There's no supernatural power in water baptism. But there is great supernatural power in God Almighty and Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes to baptize us in the Holy Spirit Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Why does He baptize us with the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 4. And look at verse 30 with me. Verse 30 says this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. No different there. Same one. Okay. That's the, uh, the uh, third person of the Trinity. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby, watch this, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The word sealed is referring to a, a mark that is put on a child of God. Okay? Um, Brother Cleve over here saved some time ago, but when he was saved, what happened was he was baptized by the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Ghost, but the work that was happening, there was a spiritual work there, where Brother Cleve was being sealed, and he's sealed right now until the day of redemption. The seal is referring to something that puts a mark on us. Something like a, a king's signet ring. If you remember from years ago, uh, kings would have a special ring, and, and, and on that special ring, I don't want to lose my place, but I want to take my ring off for a second. On that special ring, there would be a certain engraving. That would be the mark of the king. And what would happen is, there might be a letter that needed to be sent to another kingdom. They'd take wax, they'd pour it on the outside, they'd take, this, take that signet ring, and they would mark that letter. And now that letter is under the protection of the king. It has his authority upon it. It's protected by him. When a person enters into a relationship with God, Jesus Christ baptizes them in the Holy Ghost, and the reason is, is so that they are sealed until the day of redemption, and the idea is that it's like the King of kings and the Lord of lords has taken his ring and he has marked that person, and now they are forever under the protection of the Almighty Creator. That means Satan, though he can tempt them, Satan has no hold on them. They're protected. They're sealed until the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is very significant when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Now, the other one I want to show you real quick. 
And I forgot the passage. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Go there with me. That's right back to the left of Ephesians. I know this is almost more of a Bible study this morning, it seems like. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Go back there with me. All right, pick up in chapter 1, verse 21. <clears throat> now, here's what else we have. You remember John says, I indeed baptize you with water, but there's going to come one. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And we've already learned God's the only one who can forgive sin. It's through the Lamb of God that sin is forgiven because He takes away the sin of the world. But there's also this great, this great work of the Holy Ghost when it comes to our salvation, really truly being saved forever. We know that the Holy Ghost seals us until the day of redemption. The king's ring is stamped upon us and we are forever sealed until we are redeemed out of this world. But look with me in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, pick up in 21. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us, there's that word we talked about earlier, and watch this, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, the word earnest basically refers to a down payment. As one, the sealing is God marking us so that we are forever protected under the king's authority. Now the word earnest means that the Holy Ghost, who nobody's born with, and it's only through the work of Christ that he becomes, he becomes a part of us, He indwells us. When He comes inside of the believer, He is also the down payment, the earnest as it says there, the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God has given us a great down payment of the Holy Spirit to show us that we are His children and that we are saved. Maybe somebody at some point in your life has said, hey, are you 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven? And in your heart you say, you know, I'm only about 75% sure. I'm not really sure about that. I hope so. I know a man who was just right on the verge of dementia. And I asked him that question. And that was his response. He said, I hope so. This was the first time I ever had the opportunity to talk to him about his salvation. He was an older man. Like I said, he'd been going in and out. He was still functioning in life, but you could see there was onset, early signs of it. And we were sitting there, and we were having a conversation, and I just, I don't know what it was. I was just moved to ask him at that time. Are you 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And with a big smile, he said, I hope so. I don't know. Can anybody be sure? And as the conversation went on, I tried to share the gospel with him, and he wasn't willing to take it at that time. And I guess it wasn't maybe just a little while after that that everything started to sort of um, get worse for him. And uh, he's dead now. Uh, it, it got the best of him as time went on. But you know, I wonder sometimes, I think back, was that an opportunity for him to, to truly get it right? 100% sure, sealed, and earnest, a down payment, proof that you are a child of God. I think all of us can have proof this morning that we are on our way to heaven, and I think only God can do that. According to our study, go with me back to Mark so here we are talking about the good news. And what's the good news? Verse 28, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies 
wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter how bad you've been, how many horrible things you've said, or how dark in your mind or heart is right now, all that can be forgiven. And it can happen through Jesus Christ. There's only one who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb of God. There's only one who can forgive sin. That's God Almighty. And there's only one way to be forgiven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Now that's all the good news. And that's so simple. Right now, any of us, simply by faith, recognizing that we are sinners in the eyes of God, that we're willing to repent from that sin, that just simply means you turn away from it and you turn to God and you say, by faith I receive the promise, this gift of salvation that I don't deserve, but I will receive it as mine. That's it. Faith. That's all it takes is faith. Now here's the problem though. And this, was, this is what brings us to the bad news. Faith is hard for some people. A lot of people, especially in today's world with the information that travels around all over and you can access everything on the internet and learn about this, that, and everything. Everybody wants facts and they want facts to be greater than faith. And it's not until they get enough facts that they'll then have faith. It won't work that way, I promise you. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And the only way that a person will ever have all their sins forgiven is not when they get enough facts that then it becomes a reality to them, but it's when they're willing to put their faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. That's when it'll change. And that's when all the sins will be forever forgotten, forgiven, and they will be as far as the east is from the west, as the Bible says. Here's the bad news. Go to verse 29. I hate to conclude on bad news, but... Verse 29, look at it. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Why did, why did God come to the earth? Why did He do the miracles He did in that age that He was in? Why do all the things He did before the people there in Israel? Because the Jews required a sign. That's what the Bible says. They were looking for a sign. They wanted to know. They wanted to confirm that this is the work of God. So what did God do? God became a man and God did miracles that no man had ever done. And in a way that no man had ever done them. To prove to them that this is the work of God. Now what did they need? The facts were not enough. Seeing Jesus feed 5,000 was not enough. Seeing Jesus open the eyes of a blind man was not enough. Seeing Jesus walk on water was not enough. Seeing Jesus raise a lame man was not enough. Cure palsy was not enough. They still needed faith. And the connector between 28 and 29, or the thing that's lacking, between having all your sins forgiven, verse 28, or ending up in verse 29 where you are in danger of eternal damnation, is simple faith. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Well, blasphemy, in this case, in this word, it means to reject or to refuse truth. And the idea is that when God allows the Holy Spirit, who is a great worker in our salvation, it's the Word of God and it's the, it's the Spirit of God that works in our salvation. Without the two, you will never be saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and it's the Spirit who guides us in all truth. 
The Spirit of God convicts the heart to understand the message of the Bible. And it's through those two that they are testifying of the Lord Jesus. And it's the Word of God and it's the Spirit of God working together to testify of what Jesus has done. And if you ever feel that prick, that conviction, that guilt that the Holy Spirit puts inside of you, and you turn away from it, you're never promised a second chance. Nobody is. And so the idea in the verse is that when you are touched, when you are affected by the power of God, and He is obviously working in your life or mine or, or someone else's, and He's obviously working, and you say, I see it, I feel it, but Lord, I don't want it. Or God, I don't want it. And you turn from that, you know what happens? You're not promised another chance. Because what you've done is you have rejected the power of the Holy Ghost, the witness and testimony of the Holy Spirit, or the testifying there of the Lord Jesus. And as you push away from that, you know what's happening to the heart? The heart is becoming harder and harder. It happens for lost people and it happens for saved people. For lost people, what happens? Look at the verse just one more time. It says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. At that one time, if those people were to continue on in their life, they, they rejected Jesus. Certainly, they rejected His power. But we know that all sins could be forgiven. And they rejected His power. But let's say there were some there that rejected what they saw, but later on, God moved on their heart again, and the next time, they received it. As long as they acknowledge the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they can be saved and delivered from eternal damnation. But if a person continues to reject the truth of God's Word as the Holy Spirit convicts them in their heart, they are in danger. They are bound to eternal damnation because it is the Spirit of God who illuminates the heart of man. In Luke chapter 1, it says that all of mankind sits in darkness. Uh, in Corinthians, it speaks about how we're blinded by the God of this world. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that shines that little light in the heart. And when a person is receiving that, don't turn away from it. Because if you turn away from it, you are not promised a second chance. God's given you your chance. And God in His just nature has given a witness to every single person. And if we reject the truth of God's Word, we are never promised another chance. I knew a fellow some time ago that uh, was he was just on fire for God. I mean, he was, he was all in when it came to his Christian walk. And then something started to change in his life, and he began to make some changes. He stopped obeying the, uh, the teachings of Scripture. He started to act differently. He started to do different things that he shouldn't have been doing. And he knew what he was doing. He was guilty of what he was doing, but he just kept on and kept on and kept on. And you know, though God did not take his life, and that can't happen for someone who's saved. He became so hard that he fell completely out of church, fell completely away from the things of God, wants nothing to do with the Bible, never prays, never has a walk with God, because he continued to reject that conviction that, that the Holy Spirit puts in the heart. He continued to push away from it, and as his heart was hardened, eventually God just left him. And certainly but what I mean by that, if he is truly a child of God, is that God left him over to the destruction of the flesh, which is where the devil works in his life after that. 
Those things happen. See, that's the bad news. The bad news is if you reject the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to your heart, you may never hear from God again. And that's awfully scary to think about. Real quick here in the last few minutes, I want to show you the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, pick up in verse 7 with me. Why is, the, why is the Holy Spirit here? What is He doing? Yes, He's baptized us, sealed us till the day of redemption. He's the earnest um, of our salvation, the down payment. But look at verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. This is Jesus talking. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. We know that Jesus is at the right hand of, the God, of God because the Holy Spirit is constantly working in the hearts of all people. He's convicting hearts. He's illuminating Scripture. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, it confirms that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Verse 8, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin. That's a part of His ministry. And of righteousness. That's a part of His ministry. And of judgment. That's a part of His ministry. What does He mean? Reprove the world. Reprove means to convict. Here's what He's going to do. Verses 9 through 11 tell us, He's going to convict the world of sin because they don't believe on Jesus. The Holy Spirit does a work where He convicts your heart and my heart of unbelief because that is the problem man has with God. Yes, there's sin there, but why can't we get our sin dealt with? Why can't it not be forgiven? Because of unbelief. Why can't we walk with God the way we should? Because of unbelief. And so the Holy Spirit is there to convict your heart and to convict my heart to teach us that we have a problem with unbelief, and when He identifies it and gives guilt or conviction towards that, don't shut Him out. The second part of His ministry, that He convicts us of righteousness, because I, Jesus says, I go to the Father, to my Father, and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit also convicts your heart and my heart of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? The fact that Jesus came to the earth, some 2,000 years ago. He lived a righteous life. He died a righteous death. He rose from the grave in righteousness, and He sits at the righteous hand of the righteous Father, and He Himself is righteous. And you know what the Holy Spirit does in us? Is He begins to show us how righteous Jesus is, and in contrast, how unrighteous we are. So the Holy Spirit has this work of not only convicting us of unbelief, but also convicting us of our own shortcomings of not being as righteous as the Savior. Now the other one, also He convicts of the judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I'll conclude just with, with this. That last part there is referring to the fact that Satan is going to be judged one day. Now you and I, when we see the world, we see it as, as almost like a melting pot of religions. There's all these different beliefs out here, all these different gods out here, uh, pagan gods, idol, uh, idols, and all this stuff out here that people worship. But from the perspective of God, here's what He sees. He sees that He is the one and only true God, and the God of this world is Satan, who is the deceiver and the adversary of God. Everything that does not fall in, under the one and only true living God falls under the category of Satan, the deceiver of the world. 
And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts to show us that if I continue to live under the reign of Satan, that I will be judged just as Satan will be judged. And as the Bible goes on to tell us that hell was actually prepared for the devil and his angels, Satan and his angels, and that in the book of Revelation, Satan himself will be cast away into a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone for an everlasting, eternal separation from God in that place of damnation. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is there to convict me of unbelief, convict me of righteousness of Jesus, but also to convict me that if I continue to stay under the reign of Satan, I will be judged as well. Now what does that do in the heart of a person? That should move the heart to want to come under the reign of God Almighty, the one and only true living God. How can your sins be forgiven? God can forgive your sins. Who does He forgive them through? The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Does He have power to do it? Yes. What does it require? Simple faith. The thing that they lacked in those two verses was they lacked faith. Jesus was there ready to, to forgive all sins that were before Him, no matter how great or small. And all they had to do was by faith receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the Holy Spirit was showing them in their heart that this is true. But if they rejected, if they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, well, then they were in danger of eternal damnation. And many times in churches, we'll hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over, and we almost preach it till we're blue in the face. And some people just hear it, but they never are moved by it. And it could very well be that they turned off the Holy Spirit sometime prior. And now all they hear are words coming from the mouth of a preacher. They have no weight to them. They have no value. They have no meaning. They have no movement, no passion, nothing that touches them down in their soul. Why? Because it could possibly be that sometime in the past they rejected the moving of the Holy Spirit and now they are living out the rest of their days with a hardened heart that may never hear God again. That bad news is that that is possible. But I do want to conclude with some good news. If the Holy Spirit has touched your heart about this this morning, don't reject Him. Don't push Him away. You run to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He will seal your soul till the day of redemption, and you will enter into heaven when you leave this place. And that is a 100% guarantee from Jesus Himself.